Well, about that, having a little church today, amen? <laughs> Two of you agreed with me of that, and I, you were thinking deep about that, weren't you? What a blessing today to be here. We need it. We need a little church today. Unless you haven't been paying attention, things have been getting pretty ugly in our world. We have a plague, a worldwide plague that we're trying to survive, and our rallies all seem like they turn into riots. This summer that was happening all over the country. And then this week it happened in a very place that's very precious to us in our, in our nation's capital. And, and blood was shed. And many in our nation are turning away from God. And many who love God and who love the Bible are brokenhearted and deeply grieved and conflicted and and confused. So let me ask you a let me ask you a question this morning. How do you think the apostle John felt when he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos by cruel Domitian and the world was burning down around him? I would suggest to you that he had similar feelings that we may have. We're we're doing a series of teaching through the book of Revelation. Don't leave, stay put. It's not as bad as it sounds. We're teaching through the last book of the Bible, and it really is powerfully interesting and powerfully relevant to whatever we're going through. You're going to see that today. And now we're in chapter 8, but let me catch you up. Chapter 1, the apostle John gets exiled by a cruel, godless ruler to the Isle of Patmos. He's pounding the rocks. He's, he's on an island prison. In, in, the, in the Aegean. And while he's there to encourage him, he gets a vision of the risen Christ and he writes it down. He's told to write it down and he writes down this amazing vision of the risen Christ, which had to encourage him. And that's recorded in Revelation and chapter one. Now, the churches that he started and helped start and the churches that he cared for, these churches were spread around not far away, but he had no connection with them except to write a letter if it could get there. And so he wrote letters to the churches, but these were commissioned by Jesus and given from Jesus through John, actually to the angel, to the churches. And these are recorded in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. And we preach through those. You can go back and watch them if you want to, the seven churches of Revelation. After that, we're in chapter 4 and 5. And in chapter 4 and 5, we go up to see a vision of heaven. God gives John a vision of the control center of the universe, of heaven, of the throne room of God. And there things are powerful and orderly and God is on the throne and the lamb who is slain, Jesus is there. And there's a scroll that represents what's going to happen in the world after this. And that scroll is given to the lamb and the lamb unrolls the scroll. He's opening up. This is what's going to happen on earth. And Jesus, the lamb, has the title deed. He, He earned through his He created it, and he died for it, and he rose again, and he's given the title deed to the earth, and he's in charge, he's in control. Even though evil things are happening on earth, God in his heaven is in control, and this title deed to the earth is given to the Son, to Jesus the Lamb, and he's opening it up, and in Revelation chapters 6 through 18, which we won't cover all that today, but in Revelation 6 through 18, we have him unrolling, unsealing the scroll 
and judgments are pouring out on the earth. That's what's happening. And these are future judgments. We know that because obviously when you get to the very end of Revelation, it's quite obviously future. And we also know that it's future because what happens in chapters 6 through 18 are things that no one has ever seen in the history of the world before. They have to be future. And so what we have in our Bibles then is accurate history and accurate prophecy. We have what happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. We literally have some detail about what it's going to be like at the time of Christ's return, at the day of the Lord, and approaching the time of Christ's return. Christians arm wrestle a bit about what the timing of the rapture of the church, when the saints when go to be with the Lord, and we don't fight about that here. We talk about it. We have good conversation about that, but we do know this. Here's what the Bible teaches you. We're going to read chapter 8. It's a short chapter, but it's what we're going to cover today. But when we read chapter 8, here's one of the things you're going to see. If you think it's bad now, it's going to get a lot worse. And it is bad now. I mean, let's face it, even if the things that happened in Washington hadn't happened on Wednesday that broke all of our hearts, even if the things that, hadn't, that happened this summer hadn't happened, still around us, you know, we have to deal with loved ones with cancer or personal diagnosis of cancer or stray kids that are making bad choices or drug addiction or difficult finances or just you name it, right? The problems that we have, it's, it's kind of bad. The Bible actually says it's going to get worse. Now, I want to add a little bit more because I am kind of an optimist, so I have to tell you this. In chapters 6 through 18, you have a a record of what the Bible calls the tribulation, the tribulation and the great tribulation. It's seven years long. The great tribulation is three and a half years long. It's bad and it gets lots worse. And then at the end of that, and it's really horrifyingly bad, but at the end of that, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ returns to the earth. And all of the beauty and the glory and the order and the worship of heaven is like brought to the earth. It's like in the end, whether or not you fully understand this book, which is all laden with symbols, in the end, this anybody can see, Jesus wins and he comes back and he's the king in the end and he puts heaven and earth together with the faithful. With the faithful, with those who believe, those who have trusted him, you know, like Jackson and Kate and Chase and Carter and Danielle and Daniel. Amen. And I hope, and I hope you and me, not because we're, you know, righteous, uh, holier than now, we have more rules than you do, but because we are sinners saved by the grace and the mercy of our God. Broken, undeserving, throwing ourselves humbly on the mercy of Jesus. Okay, so that's how it works. So now you have the whole thing. And, you know, in order to save you a little bit of, uh, a little bit of angst, your decision, your main decision, right, is going to be decide, like, whose team are you on? That's kind of a weird way of saying it, right? But who, whose team are you on? Winning team or not winning team? Because those on the winning team, things get worse. But they get better. But those who don't follow Jesus, things get worse. And they never get better. We'll show you that. Revelation chapter 8. What you're going to see here is four of the seven trumpet judgments. There were the seal judgments. When the, when the last seal judgment was open, it had within it, like a Russian doll, if you will, it had within it the trumpet judgments. 
And we're going to look at the first four of those because it gets really hard when we get to five, and that's in chapter nine. And we're just going to cover chapter eight so that we don't ruin your brisket. (laughs) Revelation chapter eight, verse one. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels stand who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And if you follow, we're going to hear from four, the first four of the seven angels. The first angel, verse 7, blew his trumpet and there followed hail, fire, mixed with blood. These were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. Verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like A great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In other words, this messenger from God, which is called an eagle, said, if you think this is bad, it's about to get even worse. Now, if things are going to get really bad, it's the people who love you who tell you about that. If things are going to get really, really bad, if God, who is so patient and so loving and so merciful... And so long-suffering, has waited so long to make everything that's wrong right. If one day in a great fiery conflagration, he's going to make everything that's wrong right, it would be nice if we would get some warning first. And over and over again, we have in God's word clear, clear warnings about how bad things are going to get. We understand some of this is figurative language, but it's figurative language that describes real things. This is the way biblical prophecy works. Figures describe things that really are going to happen. There really is going to be a time on the earth in the future where there's great outpouring of God's wrath and suffering. 
And I, and I want you to understand something I deeply believe. You, you may not, but I think there are different kinds of God's wrath expressed in the Scripture. One of the ways that God shows his wrath, because like in Romans 1, it says the wrath of God is on every sinner. If you're outside of Christ, the wrath of God abides on you right now. The Bible says that over and over again. If you're not right with God. But what does that wrath look like? It doesn't look like he, he, he hits you with lightning this week. What it looks like is he's left you alone, and the judgment of God is on you. And the Bible even says that nations, once that nations were faithful, who turned against God, who violated his word, who covenantally rejected the word of God. God says people, even people groups like that, he can say, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you get, and I turn you over to yourself, and then things get bad in that nation. And this has happened over and over again among the nations of humankind. When they turn their back on God, God gives them up to themselves. Romans chapter 1. That's one kind of wrath. That's one kind of judgment. This is another. This is an overt judgment that's going to happen in a future day that no one will mistake and no one will doubt. It will be clear. In chapter 9 next week, you will see. Hope you'll come back. In chapter 9 next week, you'll see even those who are hardened skeptics and atheists knew these judgments came from God. There's going to come a day, one day, when everybody on earth knows that Jesus is God, that his Father is the creator God of the whole earth. And his judgment's going to come out. And so things will get worse, and they won't get better, unless, of course, a person flees to the mercy of God. So let's look at this. You have the seventh seal. It's in verses 1 through 6. You have this silence, this ominous silence. Like, this is very serious. God is going to be silent. If I was quiet for 30 seconds, and I, I never am unless I'm sleeping, you would think, you would say, what's wrong? If I called a, an assembly, and this may have never been done in the history of our beloved church here. I wonder if we've ever called an assembly and said, it's a solemn, silent assembly. We're just going to be silent before God. 30 minutes would seem like a long time. There's something God really wants to emphasize. Imagine, throne room of God, slain lamb, seven angels, other angels, living creatures, multitudes of other angels, 24 elders in the heavens, and now lots of noise, and now silence when this seal is open. 30 minutes of silence. He's, he wants the next thing to be a thing that his people will always remember. And it is an interesting thing. What is the next thing? I saw the seven angels stand before God, seven trumpets. Another angel came, stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given incense with, read it, the prayers of all the saints with the prayers of all the saints. Are you kidding? You mean the little old ladies? The little old lady saints that gather at churches on Wednesday night when everybody else is busy and they pray? You mean their prayers go up and God puts them in, he has angels assigned to put them in a golden censer and they're on a golden altar? Are you kidding me? You mean little boys that kneel down at prayer at night and before they go to sleep they pray? The little simple prayer they were taught in broken English by their mother. You mean to tell me those prayers go up before God 
and he cherishes those prayers? You mean to tell me that when I am driving to work in my truck and I say to God, help me today, I'm working on having better language and I want my mind to be pure and I want to do a really good job, that that man's prayers go up before a holy God and he helps that man? You mean to tell me that when a woman is in child, is, is, is um, with child and, and she's sick in the morning and she's struggling through all of that hardship and she's wondering if she can do this and she cries out to God that up in heaven that her prayers are captured by angels and put into a golden bowl. In other words, that God cherishes, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says God's, that the prayers of the saints are pleasing to God. And not only that, but when you keep reading, you'll see clearly, you may not understand all the symbolism, but you cannot ignore, you cannot miss that when God's people pray, God is pleased and stuff happens. Stuff happens when God says it's time. He didn't answer all these prayers immediately, did he? They're crying out in chapter 6, when God, how long, oh God, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 11, I believe, how long, God? Have you ever prayed that way? Hey, God, I think, did you hear me? Do you know how bad it is, God? I, I, are you letting this happen to me, God? I, did you hear what I said? God loves your prayers, but he doesn't always answer them right away. And sometimes he answers them better than what you asked. But they're precious to him. And our prayers, God cherishes, and our prayers cause things God acts upon the earth in answer to our prayers. And he, and he answers in the way that he chooses and in the time that he chooses. Now, you just learned something really important because you're going to face hardship and you're going to want to pray, telling you you're going to, sometime, that child that you love is going to go through something that you hate and you're going to want to pray for them. I promise you that. Sometime that business is not going to go the way you wish and you're going to go, God, this is out of hand. Someday that marriage is just... You're going to do your best, and it's still not going to be good. And you're going to be the end of yourself. And you might even go to counselors and friends, and you're going to think, God, you're the only one that can fix this. You're the only one that can help me in this. And then if you have any sense, what will you do? That's right. You will pray to God who cherishes the prayers of the saints, who acts on the prayers of the saints in the way that he chooses and in the time that he chooses. This is... A beautiful passage of Scripture. Mark this one down. Put a marker in this one. When you die and your children look through your Bible, let them see you believe this verse. And the angel took the censer, which was filled with incense and the prayers of the saints, right? Verse 5. Filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And then the, sea, then the trumpets sound and the judgments come. But this is starts it. It's the, it's the appeal from the prayers of the saints. It's absolutely fascinating. And then the vegetation is struck in verse 7 with the first trumpet. And the sea is struck in verses 8 and 9 with the second trumpet. And the rivers and the waters are struck, a third of them. And in the third trumpet in verses 10 and 11. And the heavens are struck in the fourth trumpet in verses 12 and 13. You look around the world and you say, I hate what the Democrats are doing. I hate, anybody say that? I hate what the Democrats are doing. You look at me like, he's not supposed to say that. Some of you, 
Did you say it when you get home? That's exactly what you say. You're on your little computer going, I Democrat, demonic people. Right? Others of you like, I hate what the Republicans are doing. Hate that. They're going to ruin our country. We're all deciding who's going to ruin our country. Look, look what people are doing to our country. Yes, we're concerned. Yes, we are. What we're reading here is infinitely worse, and God does it. God is the one that we want to reckon with. God is the one that can raise up nations. God is the one that can bless nations. God is the one that can bless marriages and families. God is the one that can bless businesses. God is the one that can take away his favor. He can take away his blessing. He can send his judgment. He doesn't want to, but he can. But he has sent his son, our Savior Jesus, a messenger of great mercy for those who will believe, who will trust him, who devote their lives to him. And so what is the, what, 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 what implications, what does God expect of us? I would say two things. Live soberly. This, this, people should, if, do you, how many of you believe in Jesus? Raise your hand. You believe in Jesus. Okay, thank you. If you believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus because this book told you about him. And if the part of the book I'm reading isn't true, the part of the book you read about him isn't true either. You can't take Jesus and leave this part out. Doesn't work like that. It's not the, not the Jesus of the Bible. The wrathless Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not just. He's not just if, he, if you take these parts out. No, we don't, we don't want to truncate that. We don't want to defang the, the lion of Judah. We, we want the full, we want the whole thing. We want the Jesus of the Bible. And, and, and so he says, this is a part of what's going to happen Shouldn't that make all of us kind of joyful, but yet very sober? This is serious stuff. Whether or not you follow Jesus is serious stuff. Whether or not your wife or your husband, your children are saved and know God is, that's life and death. That's heaven and hell. That's eternal stuff. There's dying and then there's perishing. And you know, the whole country, the whole world is saying, oh, be careful. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. Wear your mask. Do the stuff so that you won't die. But fewer people are saying, and be careful because even if you live and you die without Christ, you perish forever. And there's no hope. And there's no help. This is what the scriptures say. But the end has not come yet, or you would have seen this. And we haven't seen this. So since we haven't seen this, shouldn't we live soberly? Shouldn't we say, okay, okay, it hasn't happened yet. So it's like I woke up from a bad dream. There's people I can tell. Daniel, I am so glad you, what in the world, looked on TikTok. So glad your grandpa and your grandma said, come to church with us. So glad. So glad somebody, Danielle, sent you to camp. The faithful folk over there at Luma sent you off to camp. And glad somebody had the idea of us having church outside. Why? Because now Daniel and Danielle and all those boys and she's going to. There, I was allowed to say that, wasn't I? That was not a private. It would be really bad, wouldn't it? They're going to have, did you hear them? They're going to have a Christian home. That ought to make every Bethel person's heart beat fast. Here's a couple that's going, can you help us have a Christian home? We're like, yeah, we're all over that. We're all over that. We have class. Someday we're going to have a one again. We'll have classes. We'll have, we have, we've got kids going next week to camp. And do you know our group, this is interesting, our group is the first group that they just finally opened the camp back up. 
And our group is the first group that gets to go up to Barakel. Next weekend, some of our teens won't be with us. They'll be up at Barakel. Yeah, there's some young people that are pretty excited about that. So you should be praying for them, that God will work. Because that's serious. This is serious. It's the life and death stuff. The stuff that's going to happen this afternoon to the guys with the pigskin, that's not that serious. It looks serious, but it, it's really not. Not that serious. That thing you're thinking about now while I'm talking, <laughs> if you're not thinking about what I'm talking about, which, you know, we all have that happen. It's, it's not serious. This is, this is serious. So, so what does God expect of us? To be sober. Let me, let me ask you some questions to gauge your sobriety, okay? Are you sure you are right with God? Are you sure you are right with God? Just, I'm asking humbly as a friend. Are you under the mercy of God? Because if you're not, you'll, you'll face the judgment of God. Are those you love safe? Are they under the mercy? Have, have you seen the life of God in them? What else is important? What else is more important? What else has more meaning than that? What else has more significance than that? What else, has more, what else in the world is more fulfilling than that? I can't imagine you know, grandpa baptizing his grandchildren and knowing that they're going to follow Jesus. You're an athlete, Neil, but you know that you will never have a game of golf. You know, if you golf your age every day, you know this. I'm not exhorting you. You know, I know you well enough to know that's bigger than all the golf games put together, isn't it, my friend? So can we be that Bethel church that says, we're serious about this? Oh, we're happy. We're joyful. Being a Christian is not a drag. It's fun, but we are, ser- we are serious about this. Because God's judgment is coming on the world someday. And he's giving us tremors of that now. We can see a little bit about what, does America think they're going to last forever? That they can do whatever they want? And that God will never say that's enough? We ought to know better than that. We, if you have a TV, you should know better than that. Just watch the television. And ask, have you ever seen anything like that? In the, I'm not being a fear monger. This is just true, isn't it? A little appropriate anxiety. Okay, the other thing, so there is that. There is the live soberly, but the other one you can't miss here is pray faithfully. You got that, right? You can, who can, how could you miss that? Pray. Prayer is pleasing to God. Prayer is powerful to God. God answers his prayers in his perfect time, and he answers his prayers in the right way. Sometimes you pray, and it's good that you prayed. Jesus prayed, and God gave him something else that he prayed for in answer to his prayer. So if he did it for Jesus in the garden, he might do that for you too. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, said she prayed for eight different guys to be her husband, and God said no. And then he gave her Billy Graham. That was probably good. He was a good egg. What should we do, though? Let's go back to the beginning where we started about, like, looking at our country. Because I know that's on, your, that's on your heart. So before we stop today, let's talk about that a little bit. What should we do when it seems like our world's falling apart around us? Maybe we could take a clue from the Apostle John when his world was falling apart around him. What should we do? What should we do when it seems like we see the persecution of Christians coming. What should we do when Christians do dumb things? What should we do when you see injustice in the world? What should we do when you see all around you the law of God is being violated and the ways of God are being ignored? Do you take things into your own hands? Do you give up? 
I want to talk to you about the power of the gospel. Give me your ear. God's way is not the way of violence. It's not the way of rebellion. It's not the way of political maneuvering. It's not the way of political might. God's way, read the New Testament. Just read it. It's not. That's not God's way. But he does have a way. God has a way of changing the world. It is very clear in the New Testament. It is the power of the gospel embedded in love and good works and bathed in prayer. It moves the hand of God. One day God will visit the earth with vengeance that belongs to God alone. We don't need to do that. We're not, that's not our responsibility. We're, we shouldn't rise up like zealots. We pray and he will act to right the wrongs on earth. There's no greater power on earth or in heaven than the power of God. And God's power, he acts in power in answer to prayers. So my instinct on Wednesday, I was here and I was studying and I wasn't looking at the news and I wasn't talking to anybody. And late in the day, I discovered that something really sad had happened that I have never seen in my lifetime and wish I had never seen. And what, what my instinct was interesting. It was in the evening and I was driving home. The way I was raised, the church was the traditional way the church was organized you always had a Wednesday night prayer meeting. It's just the way I was, the way I grew up. It was like, you definitely only missed Wednesday night prayer meeting if you were scheduled to work. It's how I was raised. I'm not bragging. I'm just kind of appreciate it. It's part of the way I was. And we have a different way. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute, but we have a different way. We don't have a Wednesday night exactly, but that's the way it was growing up. And, I, and it was Wednesday and it was evening. And I thought, man, I'd love to just drive to a little country church and join the little old ladies this evening and pray to my God for my country that I love. That God would turn this country back to God and us back to God and me back to God, Jackson back to God. And I imagine God saying to me, so Ken, you're one of the leaders at the Bethel Church, and I see you don't do the Wednesday night thing. That's fine. When do you pray? How do you pray? How have you led your people to pray? Our elders meet every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, and we pray. And they were doing that before I got here. I was happy to join that prayer meeting. Every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, the elders pray. We Zoom pray, but God hears it. And we, we meet when we can. I think it's on Tuesday, a group of ladies very faithfully comes in into the library and the ladies pray on Tuesday. I know that. I know that others of you brothers have had personal accountability prayer groups that have met for years. One of our men I know here had a personal group where he met with a guy, shared personal life experiences for many, many years and prayed. Bethel, can I say, as one of the pastors here, let's, let's get together with others and let's pray for Let's do what God says and pray for our nation. Let's pray that God would act in, that he would act in mercy, that people would be saved, and that many would be saved before his judgment comes. And let's pray that God would strengthen us because we're going to need to be strengthened because it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what the Bible says. And we need to be prepared to go through something bad. If we, we have a season where we have a revival and we don't go through something bad. Well, we'll all enjoy that. But I think we need to be prepared. We're little Chase and little Carter and little Jackson and Miss Kate are going to live in a world a lot different than the one that we, were, we lived in. And it's going to be harder for Christians, but great is he that is in them than he that is in the world. And we trust God. 
is going to work in their lives. And we believe there, there's a little book. I love it. I have a copy here for somebody who's really an eager reader. I have two of them. So I'll give you that one. Whoever asked me first. It's a, it's a beautiful little book. It's an old book. It's by an old Chinese missionary woman who's married to a man named Jonathan. His name was Goforth. Can you imagine? A missionary named Goforth. That was his real name. Her name was Rosalind. Jonathan and Rosalind Goforth. Amazing. She was a writer. She wrote stories about missionary endeavor in China. It's crazy interesting. She wrote a book called How I Know God Answers Prayer. And when I read that book, I like to imagine a fireplace. I like to imagine old Jonathan Goforth and Rosalind Goforth and me and, and you, some couples gathered in the evening by the fire, and then just talking with them and saying, tell me how you know there is a God and they said, well, let me just tell you how I know God answers prayer. And she said, I, she would maybe start and say, I will tell you, it started when I was a little girl. She said, when I, when I was a little girl, we were playing in the woods. We were visiting in the north of England. And we were playing in the woods. And, and we were looking at the wildflowers. And we drifted away from the house. And we, the, the little group of small children got lost in the woods. And we realized that we were lost. We didn't know what to do. And I said, I remember, my mom told me that when I am in trouble to cry out to Jesus... So little Rosalind is lost in the woods with her friends, cries out to Jesus, Jesus, we're lost. There's a little boy in the group, and a bird landed by the little boy, and he reached over like a little boy would do to get the bird, and the bird hopped away, and he, he went after the bird, and every time he reached for the bird, the bird either hopped away or, or flew away, and after a while, the whole group was following this bird, hopping and flying until the bird finally just flew away, and they looked up, and they could see the house from where they were. Rosalind Goforth said, this, I was just a little girl when I learned that God answers prayer, and you might mock that, but the book is full of stories about God answering prayer. And I think you could write one. I do. I believe it. I believe you could start a journal and say, how I know that God is real. How I know that. Start to ask God for things. For people. Pray for other people. Ask God for things. He said that. Jesus said that in his basic teaching in Matthew chapter 7. Ask God for things. Ask and receive. Like he's a, I'm a dad and I'm a grandpa. And I got to tell you this, when my kids need something, when my grandkids want something, I, everything in me wants to give it to them. Are you that way? Of course you are. And Jesus said about that, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father know to give good gifts to those who ask him? Ask him for things. When he answers the prayer, write it down. Then you can write a book. How I know God answers prayer. Bethel, let's do what God says to do. Now, the atheist, the skeptic, the person who hasn't met God yet, he says, baloney, that's trash. He says it's different than that. He doesn't believe in prayer. He doesn't pray. He's a cynic. He's a skeptic. He mocks prayer, and he mocks God. But you know what I've noticed on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot? That even Christians are tempted to doubt if prayer really works, if prayer really matters. You know, there's a big problem, and then somebody says, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and then they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, keep your thoughts and prayers, do something. And of course, we should act in obedience to God to do the things that God has said, like share the gospel, love one another, acts of goodwill, good things. And like the old hymn says, do you, you remember the hymn that you used to sing? Did you sing this? We used to sing this when I was a kid in church um, it was the uh, it was a, it was a Marshall it was a Marshall uh, hymn Lead on O King Eternal 
Lead on, O King Eternal. We follow not with fear. It's like, and it says, in Lead on, O King Eternal, for not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, but with deeds of love and kindness, the heavenly kingdom comes. We don't outvote the enemy. We don't outgun the enemy. We pray, and then God either wins the enemy to himself, and then they're our brother, they're our sister, or one day God will bring judgment on our enemy, which none of us should really, really want. And so we have an opportunity, and that is, let's let me leave these words ringing in your ear so that this week you will get with somebody else, your wife, your husband, a child, a friend, a couple of men, a couple of women, and do what God says he loves, do what God says he acts upon, and that is pray. Listen to this. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. That's you and me. On the golden altar before the throne of God, smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose up before God. Would you stand for a moment? I want to dismiss you in a minute. And I want to ask those of you who are here to give counsel to others or to pray with others to come forward. We have a couple, that, a couple couples that are going to do that. They're going to come and stand here at the front. And the reason they're here is because you might not, await, might, not, might not want to wait until you get home to pray with somebody. And if you want to know that you're right with God, I would pray before you leave this building and just say to God, God, I give myself to you. Daniel, I won't embarrass you. Dan, Daniel said he had a friend that he wanted, to, his friend needed to know the Lord. And Daniel said, I think I, I, think I saved him. He said, I, I told him what they told me. Well, he's here, which is very good. So, and his name is? Eddie. Welcome. Eddie, that's you. Eddie, welcome to the family. <laughs> and you... <laughs> You didn't know that we were going to publicly call you out today. And I hope we didn't embarrass you. But do you see how that works? Dan loves Eddie. So Dan told Eddie what he found. Dan does not have a seminary degree yet. But he has a real experience with a living God. And he has a friend. And so do you. Would you walk with him? Would you live for him? Would you give your life to him? Do we need to drain the baptistry? Or shall we keep it full? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a day. What a day. What a day. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you did, God. It's kind of cool how none of us can really take any credit. It's The miracle is something that you did as people, little hearts are turned to you. That Jackson, that he wants to walk with you. That Kate wants to walk with you. God, thank you for that. Thank you for Daniel, for Danielle, for Chase, and for Carter and the boys for the guests that have come today and all of us that have gathered. I really pray, Lord, that you would work within us as we try to obey you when we see sad things happen in our world and we're tempted to either despair or to take up arms. Give us, I pray, faith that your ways, the gospel, the kneeling saint, are powerful things to move the hand of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with us today.